You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. I'm very excited about my jumper. Um, And yes, I did buy it because of this speaking series specifically. And now I didn't claim it on expenses. Um, for those listening, they're going to be like, what does it on your jumper? So it just it says bien, which is good in French. And I checked the translation with our in-house translator, and it's, it's all good. It does mean that, literally. Um, so there we go. Anything that justifies the purchase of a new jumper. <laughs> Shall I shut up and get on with the talk now? <laughs> um, yeah, so Rob started our brand new series last week, which is called Already Good. And I thought it might be helpful just to read out the summary paragraph of, of what that whole series is, in case you missed last week or in case you haven't um, yeah, sort of heard what, what we're doing. So what would our lives look like if we knew we were already good? So often religion and faith can make us feel, whether deliberately or accidentally, that there's something inherently wrong with us, that we're born broken or wired towards sin. And traditionally within Christianity, this idea has been known as original sin. At Oasis, we believe in a God who created us and said that we were good before anything else. And that when we live out of our original goodness and know we are good, amazing things can happen. In this speaking series, we'll explore the concept of original sin and where it came from and how we might reframe some of our understanding of it so we can learn to live out of the knowledge that we are loved and that we are good. Jumper purchasing optional. So Rob's topic was, was born bad, question mark. He was kind of exploring that last week. And he gave us a brilliant overview of what the theory of original sin is, where it came from, and why it's become so influential, particularly in, in Western Christianity. So if you missed that talk, I'd really me- recommend that you catch up on the podcast. Um, hopefully it'll be loaded uh, the next couple of days. Um, yeah, because it's a good place to start when trying to get your, your head around all of this. And it doesn't matter if you do this week first and last week next. So I'm carrying on this week by flipping Rob's title to to born good, question mark. So I'll be saying a bit about why I think original sin is damaging, and I'll also be introducing us to the concept of original blessing as an alternative to original sin. Um, So Rob mentioned a couple of books that we'd recommend you read if you want to explore this topic more, and you'll see me quote the Danielle Schroyer book that's called Original Blessing quite a bit this morning, and lots of the content from my talk is shaped by that book. Um, yeah, and the other one also, I've not read that yet, but um, a couple of people have said that's really good and kind of looks at um, yeah, the, the, to- the topic much more broadly than theology, so it'd be great to read that as well. So firstly then, in case you missed it last week, let's quickly look at what original sin actually means, and we'll look at um, Danielle Schroyer's definition from her book. So in its most basic terms, the doctrine of original sin argues two things. One, that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, so that's from the, the story in the book of Genesis, something negatively and permanently shifted in their nature, and two, this nature has been passed on to every human being since. So full disclosure, I think that's rubbish. And uh, Rob mostly explained why last week, but I thought this quote from the back of Danielle Schroer's book that Rob displayed just summed it up absolutely perfectly and is a brilliant example of just not dressing things up in loads of fancy language, but just saying it as it is. Original sin is bad for people and it isn't in the Bible. Time to get rid of it. So I very much agree with that. And I just want to own, I guess, that I'm not approaching this from some sort of neutral standpoint, you know, looking to learn more to decide what I think. I feel really strongly that it 
it's harmful, that it's toxic, and actually that it's theologically um, wrong. And others may have different views, and that's okay, and you don't need to agree with me, but I just at least want to be honest about my massively non-objective view on this. So why do I think it's rubbish? Well, I'm going to fly very quickly through five quick reasons, and again, uh, lots of these are explained in more depth and detail in Daniel Schroer's book. Um, so, firstly, it's not in the Bible, and I'm not going to say loads on this as Rob's covered it, but it, it simply isn't there. You won't find it. And the verses that have been misunderstood to prove it are actually uh, talking about something else. Secondly, it implies that we are separate from God rather than God being with us. So who's ever seen a, an image like that? Um, I think I was guilted into becoming a Christian about three or four times as a teenager with a, a story of, of something similar um, and yeah, that, that sort of great chasm on a path, you know, with the cross being the bridge between the two. And that idea creates in us this feeling that we're separate from God, you know, that he's like somewhere over there and we're somewhere else. And I don't believe that's the case. And I don't believe that follows uh, the, the kind of narrative of scripture, which is a God who is always with his people. And again, the, it's more explained. It's explained in the book. Read the book. Uh, and then, yeah, next uh, sort of about three of these five points if we do uh, all have this like you know inherently sinful nature if we are sort of hardwired to commit evil then why isn't the world just absolutely overcome with evil now you might say well it is and yeah okay there is some really bad stuff going on but when you actually think about most of the people that you know or even think about just your own life you know, you might make a, a few bad choices or, or make mistakes, but do you intentionally, regularly commit acts of evil? Most of us, most of the time, don't. And in fact, in my experience, people are really good. People are trying their best. And sometimes, actually, the reasons people make what we perceive as bad or evil choices are actually things like trauma responses or a lack of opportunity, perhaps a lack of choice, value or culture clashes. And sometimes, and we need to talk more about this, and I'm hoping to touch on it in a few weeks' time, sometimes our inability to recognise choice as a privilege. So we think about, you know, people doing good or bad things in terms of choices but choice is a privilege and I'm going to unpack that a bit more um, in a future talk. I love this poem by uh, Denisha Lemiris it's called Small Kindnesses and I think it sums up this point really really well. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle people pull in their legs to let you by or how strangers still say bless you when someone sneezes a leftover from the bubonic plague don't die we're saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it, to smile at them and for them to smile back, for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder and for the driver in the red pickup truck to let us pass. We have so little of each other now so far from tribe and fire, only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat, go ahead, you first, I like your hat. Love that poem. And I think, yeah, it sums up for me that generally speaking, we're all trying to be good and to do good in the world. And it's within our nature to help others. And I think there's evidence of that everywhere if you look for it. 
Okay, original sin, I think, sets us up to be in this kind of constant battle, doesn't it? You know, we're like fighting against this super angry God. We're fighting against each other. We're fighting against sin. We're fighting against our own sort of inherently sinful nature. And again, I just don't think that is is the picture that's painted throughout Scripture of what it means to be in relationship with God. And finally, it doesn't encourage us, I think, to take personal responsibility. Um, and some people have said to me, well, you know, um, original sin, it's, it, I don't know, I, it's interesting, isn't it, where, what we then do with a word like sin, with a concept like sin. And again, that's something that we're going to look at in, in future weeks. Um, but we can use original sin, I think, as an excuse for the bad choices we make, can't we? Or it's, you know, it's just my inherently sinful nature. You know, it's just part of being human. And actually, it doesn't encourage us to grow or to say sorry or to reflect and to prevent harming others in the same way in the future. And for me, while there's a balance here, I think the journey of a disciple of Jesus is one of growth. So being loved as you are, but becoming all you were meant to be. And I think original sin doesn't just not encourage that. It implies that it's actually not possible. You know, it's not within your nature to, to, to do that. So I know that a lot of what I've said is, you know, quite cognitive, quite conceptual, you know, theological sort of ideas-based arguments. But I also think that um, it's helpful to, to revisit our old friend, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Some of you might be like... Well, uh, so we did a talk on this ages ago. I think Rob did it. It was brilliant. You should look it up on our SoundCloud page because it's so good. I love this. I think it's such a helpful tool. It's developed by John Wesley. Um, and the idea is that you kind of use all these different things when you're making decisions about things, when you're um, yeah, thinking theologically or whatever about what you think. I think it's just helpful for everything. So you look at all these, all these different areas. Um, you know, what, what does the Bible say? Um, what does your sort of logical mind say? What does your experience say? And traditionally, what have people kind of done before you? And that's all of those things together help formulate as um, a, a decision. So I think we've looked already this week, I think at last uh, and last week as well, about what the Bible says or doesn't say about original sin. And we've also explored where this idea comes from in terms of our religious tradition and our historical context as well. And hopefully we've used a bit of reason or common sense as well. But what about our experience? Because I think, um, you know, it's not just about the theological idea. Uh, for me, we need to think much more about the fruit of our theological ideas. Um, you know, what results from it? What does it cause? What does it do in people's lives? What's the good fruit and the bad fruit? And this idea, and, and it's a principle that, again, I find really helpful, comes from something that Jesus said to his disciples. So I'll just read that. It's Matthew seven sixteen to 20. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So in my view, the, the fruit or the results or the consequences, if you like, of original sin are bad. I'll say a bit more about that now. So um, I've been listening recently to a podcast called Holy Hurt uh, by Dr. Hilary McBride, which is a really brilliant um, eight-part series about the psychology behind religious trauma and spiritual abuse and how to heal from it. And she speaks powerfully about the damage a belief like original sin can do to a person. Um, so, you know, not just spiritually, but in terms of their mental health as well. So you need to believe that you're inherently evil, to, to think that there's something wrong or broken in you that you have no choice or control over. That's not great for, for your well-being, um, for your self-esteem, for your, for your kind of yeah, feeling of who you are and your place in the world. And I've seen this a lot, you know, reflecting.
reflected in people who, who have no idea how to love themselves because since childhood they've been indoctrinated with this idea that you're a sinner, that you're bad, that you're evil, that you're wired uh, towards evil and you, you, know, you need saving from this angry God who's constantly disappointed in you. And I just I really don't know what's good about that. I think bluntly it just makes people feel rubbish about themselves and I've definitely seen it contribute to really low self-esteem and even mental health challenges in people. So it's, yeah, it's not a good thing for people in terms of what it, what it produces. And um, I've mentioned this before, there's a, a theory of human development called spiral dynamics. Some of you might have heard of it. And if you want to know more about it, there was um, a Nomad podcast recently, which covered it actually, which, which was good. And there's some stuff online, but basically it sort of a, you know, goes through like each um, stage of human development, but it looks not just at faith, but um, everything. And so it's, it's quite a broad ranging theory. But one of the core principles, which I find really helpful is this idea of transcend and include. So when you move on, maybe from like one stage to another, you don't sort of look back and discuss disgust and judgment um you know that all oh, they're still there and I'm now here and I'm better than everyone else because I've moved on but you actually take the best of that stage with you so you learn from it and you recognize the parts of that stage that were good and that helped you survive and belong and meet whatever need it met at that time even if you're now moving on to something else so I think it is important to ask that question you know, if we're moving on from original sin is there anything that we can include as we transcend beyond it and I think one of the things for me is about taking sin seriously and how that's a good thing, that we do need to acknowledge that we cause harm to ourselves, to others, and to our world by the choices that we make, both as individuals, but also, and this is the part that we always neglect, as part of the societal structures and systems that sometimes we're part of and that we're complicit in enabling. So that does mean politically, um, yeah, sometimes we always think of sin again it's a western church thing sin is always about me and what i've done and my bad thoughts and but we don't own the kind of collective sin as a community the the people groups that are you know minority groups that are being ignored or discriminated against or you know the way that our society is set up to make people fail um, those are the kinds of, of, of sins that we need to be more aware of and talk more about and i think we need help don't we from a um as a community to to both recognise those things and I think to get help in, in healing from them and learning how we can remove ourselves from some of those systems that are harming, not helping. And again, I'll, um, we'll be talking a bit more about sin in a few weeks' time. Maybe there are other good things that have come from it that you can think of. I'm just going to leave it at that for now, but um, things we can perhaps take as, as we move on into this idea of original blessing, which leads me nicely on to what does that mean? So we've already said it's kind of an alternative to original sin. Um, so let's look at that and where it comes from. So Richard Rohr says this, looking at creation in progress, God saw that it was good five times and found it very good after the sixth day. We all need to know that this wonderful thing called life is going somewhere and somewhere good. It is going someplace good because it came from goodness, a beginning of original blessing instead of original sin. So original blessing is the idea that we are inherently good because we come from God who is good. Uh, Daniel Schroer puts it slightly differently. God is with us and that presence is at the heart of every good and perfect thing, every grace, every single breath of life. That's original blessing. It is nothing less than the anchoring conviction that God is with us. 
And Troy says that often the Christian story in the church, you know, we kind of forget about Genesis 1 and we go straight to Genesis 3, don't we? We forget that before whatever Adam and Eve did or didn't do, which, by the way, is a parable, but we'll get to that in a few weeks, uh, God lovingly created the world and said it was good, said we were good, very good, um, and that, that is who we are. Um, I love this verse from 1 John 3. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So before we are anything else, we are good. We are children of God. That is original blessing. Okay, a couple more things to say about original blessing then. And again, um, Danielle Shaw unpacks this more in her book. So firstly, goodness is both an origin and a goal. So we're not good because of what we do or produce, but that's really hard for us to get our heads around, isn't it, in a capitalist society? And I would argue a mostly capitalist Christianity in the West, at least, you know, so we're good uh, just because um, we are. So another quote here from her book. Goodness is also a goal because it's something we become too. From our origin of goodness, we can grow into and live into the goodness God intends for us. So original blessing isn't just a state of being, but also a process of becoming. We could say blessing is and blessing unfolds. So it reminds me of that idea, that concept that we talk a lot about, the king, you know, the kingdom of God being this sort of now and not yet. It's a similar kind of idea, isn't it? That blessing is, um, but it's also unfolding. It's something we can walk more into. And secondly, blessing isn't just about us. Oh no. And a word or concept that's been really important to this church, I know, is this idea of overflow. You know, that we're, we're blessed to be a blessing. And lots of people have said that in different ways over the years. And it's been, it's been a really important, um, I guess, word, <laughs> word for us as a church, I think. So um, actually, if you, if you look at the word to bless in Hebrew, which is barak, you'll see it used in, in three ways. So I have a slide on this. Sort of, yeah, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, so uh, three ways. So firstly is God blessing people. The second is people blessing people. And the third is people blessing God. So the idea that of original blessing is that it goes full circle. Um, it causes, it overflows. So it causes us to bless others who then in turn bless God. Um, so it's this idea of, of yeah, sort of full, full circle. And so if we can't recognise our own blessing, our own inherent goodness, how can we speak that out in others? You know, how can we get them to recognise their true identity as a child of God if we don't know that we are children of God? And I think this is the really cool thing, that actually goodness, love, blessing, which I think, you know, are similar concepts, same ideas, aren't they? They are transformational, whereas guilt, shame, punishment, in my opinion, they don't transform people's lives. They actually make them a lot worse. Um, you might have heard that um, Oasis nationally are starting something new called Oasis Restore, which is going to be the first secure stool, school, sorry, stool, secure school, um, hopefully opening next year. And I'm particularly excited about that because it's such a different approach. So um, rather than locking young people up, so young people that have been given a custodial sentence, you know, rather than say sort of what have you done, uh, we're going to say what's happened to you. So it's going to use this trauma-informed approach that actually calls out the inherent goodness in these young people who quite often have had very difficult lives helping them recognise who they are, reach their potential, look to the future and reintegrate into the community. Punishment and guilt and shame doesn't change people, but love does. 
And when, um, when I was a teenager, I went through a really difficult few years and I went through some, some really tough stuff and I didn't understand what was happening. So my behaviour became quite challenging and I did some really stupid stuff because I was hurting. And what changed my life at that moment wasn't, you know, threats or a telling off from my teachers. It wasn't feeling guilt or shame at what I was doing. It was love. It was the love of a youth worker who relentlessly loved me and didn't give up on me, who saw the good in me, who, who told me what I was good at and gave me opportunities to do those things and she was never shocked or judgy or angry she loved me and it transformed me and I then went on to train to be a youth worker because that love overflowed and I wanted to help others in the way that I've been helped which has now kind of gone off into lots of different things um, but yeah it's that sense of um, full circle goodness you know I was helped to recognize my my blessing my goodness and that overflowed into the lives of others and flowed back to God and, you know, that's why we're looking at this topic and why we believe it's so important, because living out of a place of love and goodness, knowing who you are as a child of God, it's transformative. It transforms our communities. Love changes things and it changes us. And this quote has been used a few times and I remembered it again as I was preparing this talk. It's from um, uh, Jean Robinson. Believe that God loves you beyond your wildest imagining and begin to live your life as if that were true. And recognising our original goodness, I think, is to believe that God loves us, you know, beyond our wildest imagining and living our lives as if that were true. So, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and the final thing I want to say, I think um, I'm not good at getting this. I, since the age of 17 I've plunged myself into kind of you know Christian jobs and ministry which is a term that I want to bin which you know if you'll have heard me talk uh, previously but faith became about what I could do you know what I could achieve how I could help other people what I could uh, produce and I'm still trying to teach myself that it's about me receiving as much as it is about me giving and that if I don't do that you know it's like if my cup is empty how can it overflow you know I've got to learn how to receive and let my faith be good and life-giving for me rather than just think about how I can then turn it into you know what I can do with it and I think um I know that's a me thing but I think there's a lot of people in this church and I'm not I'm not looking at anybody but there's people who are amazing at giving and spend a lot of time doing and they they got excited about their faith at one point and so that overflowed and they wanted to do stuff but maybe it's just this series I hope might be just a helpful reminder of how we don't just give but we just receive you know how do we just like why this morning we just wanted to just sit and be in God's love you know when do we do that what does that look like for us because if we can't do that we're not going to be able to overflow um, and do anything either individually or, or as a hub so it's 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 really important I think that we get this and I hope over the next few weeks as we unpack it a bit more um, some of the questions that um, it raises like what about Genesis what about sin you know why what about Jesus then how does that change things so we know those questions good questions and we're gonna we're gonna get to those but right now I think the priority is just to to understand um, our goodness to try and sit in it to try and get our heads around that um, as who we are so knowing that you're loved knowing that you're a child of God and letting that overflow both into the lives of others and back uh, to God so I want to um, just finish today with um, a, a kind of a blessing so it's written by uh, one of my favorite writers called Sarah Bessie and she wrote um, I think it's called a rhythm of prayer it's a, a book of of prayers and, and blessings and yeah they're they're 
amazing. And this one is called A Reminder, and I just felt it would be a, a nice way to finish. So if you've been uh, picked on by me and you have your prayer section, if you could come up now. Um, I'll move this out of the way, actually. And um, I just want you to just let these words just sink in. Like, this is, this is for you. These words are for you. So... Yeah, you do have to stand in order because of the microphone. Smashing it. It's, it's like that game, isn't it? Stand in high order. <laughs> right, so maybe let's, let's take a couple of deep breaths and, yeah, just relax a bit. Open ourselves up to these words. You don't have to be productive and you don't have to change the world. You're already so loved. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be simple. You don't have to read all the right books by the right people. You're already so loved. You don't have to be beautiful and thin with an articulated and ironic fashion sense. Not at all. But if you're into that kind of thing, well, that's okay too. You don't have to be healthy in your mind or in your body. You don't have to be in full-time vocational ministry. You can watch horrible television, or you can be proud of your televisionless home. You can be artistic or scientific. You can spend your life travelling to meet beautiful people, or you can live and die in the town where you were born. You don't have to conform to someone else's idea of holy or acceptable. You can be from the wrong side of the tracks or the gated community, suburbs or urban or rural. You can work with your hands and your mind, your back and your brain. You don't have to be educated, not at all. You don't have to have a degree or letters after your name. You don't have to know the right people and boast a carefully curated Instagram feed with the famous and the beautiful and the influential. You don't have to be conservative and you don't have to be liberal. You don't have to identify with certain political persuasions or ideology on sexuality or science or socioeconomics or foreign policy. You can be a social justice warrior or you know not. None of that moves the meter of your belovedness. God won't say, okay, now I love her just a bit more because look, she's finally out of debt or thin or powerful or influential or tireless. Your family story can be beautiful or terrible, or like most of us, a bit of both. Perhaps you're famous or well-known or influential. That's okay. Perhaps you are quiet and unknown. Maybe you hate that. Maybe you love it. You don't have to be a mother or a father. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be single. You don't have to want children or raise children. You don't have to be sober or clean. You don't have to give away everything you owe and take a vow of poverty. You don't have to be prosperous either. Church or no church, or a certain kind of church only, whatever. You can doubt or feel great certainty even if that certainty is in your doubt. 
You can believe in God, doubt God, seek God. You can be someone well acquainted with unanswered prayers. You can carry chronic pain or dance through your life. You can be introverted or extroverted. You don't have to love yourself or even like yourself. You are loved. Whatever your life looks well put together from the outside, while hiding a, a hot mess inside or vice versa, sometimes on the same day, you are loved. Morning lark, night owl, sinner, saint, child of God, siblings, all of us, we are loved. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to earn. Sure, any one of those things might change because you are loved. You may already know where God wants to breathe change and wholeness into you, bringing your life more into line with the person you were meant to be all along. Love can and does and will transform us in every way. Our ideology, our opinions, our habits, our values, our priorities, our very names. But it is not a prerequisite or a requirement. It's not behaviour modification. It never is. Not for love. Love has happened and it is happening and it will happen. It is kind and patient towards you. You're already so loved. You aren't earning a breath of love or tenderness more than what you already have just by breathing, just by existing, just by being here in the wonder. Your name is already written in the lines of the hands of the universe. Your star breath of dust and you are beloved intimately, faithfully, wholly. It's your lifelong rock. You are known. You are loved with delight and abundance, with choice and desire, with covenantal love. You may feel it or not. You are so loved. You are so loved. You are so loved. Thank you. Um, let's pray. God, help us just take a moment to take some of that in. We're so grateful that that is who you are, that you literally are love. And we're made in the image of love, that we're good. And I know that um, I find this hard, and I know there are others that do. And so for everybody who it feels painful to hear you are good, or it feels untrue, or it's not something that you feel you can ever believe about yourself, God, I pray for, for all, of, all of us that struggle with this that you would walk alongside us 
as we figure it out, as we get our heads around it, as we explore this more in the coming weeks. And we pray for those who are feeling just empty. The concept of overflow it just almost feels like a joke because we just have nothing for people who feel like that. God, fill us with your spirit again. Give us life. Restore us. And let there be a hundred reminders this week of your goodness and our goodness in ways that only we can understand. Help us to always be people that call out goodness in others, that say it when we see it, even if it's a bit awkward. Yeah, go with us into this week, God. And may everything that we do be from a place of knowing that we are good and that we are loved. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.